so the Genwell Project, for those who haven't joined us as of yet, is a human connection movement. Our mission is to make the world a happier and healthier place by reminding people about the importance of face-to-face -face human connection and inspiring them to take action. Our goal was to get people connected before the next crisis, uh, but obviously we're here now. So we wanna do everything we can to help people stay connected through these challenging times, to find the, the solutions, to find comfort, and also to build the resilience that gets us out to the other side. Connected Conversation is a series of conversations that we launched with the, the onset of COVID-19 in order to introduce people to ideas, people, and tools that will help them build that resilience and get us all safely and healthy to the other side of COVID-19. Uh, today, we are uh, fortunate to have uh, Paul Bourne, the CEO and uh, co-CEO, uh, co sorry, let me get that right, and director of, um, it has it as vibrant communities, but of the Tamarack Institute as a, as a holistic thing, right, Paul? Right. Yeah. Uh, Paul is a born leader and an award-winning author on issues of community. His knowledge about collective impact and community engagement is extensive. Paul grew up as the son of a refugee of refugees that worked together to survive and then thrive. Their experience is what made him deeply curious about and engaged in ideas that caused people to work together for the common there. Paul is the co-founder and co-CEO of the Tamarack Institute, a 30,000 member learning community and the founder and director of Vibrant Communities, a collective impact movement, cities reducing poverty and cities deepening community that is now active in over 300 cities and I want to question across Canada, but I think it's outside of Canada as well, which we can delve into a little bit deeper. Um, a large-scale community change facilitator, Paul is the author of four books, including two Canadian bestsellers. He's a global faculty member of the Asset-Based Community Development Institute and a senior fellow of Ashoka, the world's largest network of social innovators. Paul was appointed to the Order of Canada Congratulations in 2019. Paul, a pleasure to have you here and thanks for making the time today. It's great to be here. So Paul, so much to ask you, but before we get into any conversation in our connected conversations, the first thing we always do is check in with the, uh, the guest because as you know, right now we need to take the time to check in with one another more than ever before. So uh, here we are eight weeks, I'm not even sure, eight weeks, maybe we're now we're going into nine weeks. Um, how are you doing? How are you holding up during COVID-19? And maybe what's the biggest challenge that you've faced uh, thus far? Well, you know, um, it all, I, I guess, you know, when it, when it first kind of hits, um, you have two thoughts uh, in mind. One is my family safe? Yeah. And what's that going to mean? And then the second thought is, am I safe? And, um, and getting on in age, that takes on a different meaning. You know, I'd, I'd rather be out there not worrying about getting COVID um, because, you know, I'd rather be helping people. But then you suddenly realize, well, you're not going to be any help if you get it. So then they tell you to stay in and you do. Um, the next thing that happens is you got to sort of take care of your organization. And we have about um, 28 staff and they all have families. And so, you know, the question is what, how stable are we? Now, you know, Tamarack is a social enterprise. We get about a third of our revenue uh, from government and um, about a quarter from 
foundations and the rest we generate ourselves. We run a lot of training events, uh, do a lot of consulting work, and uh, all of that was gone like that. So about 1.3 million um, gone this year alone. Wow. But the good news is, is that we were well set up um, and we've been around long enough that the board had built proper reserves and uh, we're going to get through this year and and it looks like by with some good planning we'll get through next year but you start to ask the question uh what's happening and so we started talking to our own staff and um, we all decided to go four days a week it's a really big help uh there's actually a government program that tops up that fifth day uh, four days a week makes sense for a couple of reasons. One is that um, you get, I, I find that people get more tired uh, working in COVID. I mean, as an institute, we already closed our, our big office and just created a small one at the university uh, three years ago. And we have staff right across the country. So we're very used to working remote. Yeah. But it's, it's, there's something about the stress of COVID that's hanging over you. It's like a dark cloud, huh? And uh, it makes you very tired at, when you're being productive. That, 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 that's my sense uh, of working with our team. And I think, you know, I'm like uh, an uber, uber optimist. Um, my, my wife describes me sometimes as, you know, that person that sees the world as the cup half empty, and the person who sees the cup as the world over uh, the world as the cup over um, full. Well, this is Paul. He normally sees the world as the cup overflowing, and that just exhausts me most days. She says. So I am. I'm exhausting. I'm. Uh, I'm. You know. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, you know. I'm. I'm very. Um, persistent, right? But the problem is even even I have found uh, it it's like we're we're it's just something about this. It's like I, I, I had this sense for the first couple of uh, weeks. I'm waiting for something. I'm waiting. Right? But what am I waiting for? Like am I waiting for COVID to come and get me? Uh, am I am I waiting for COVID to go away? Um you know, am I, am I waiting for what to un, unfold, right? So I, I found myself um, even, you know, trying to be positive, trying to be optimistic, trying to make the right steps. Of course, the next stage is reaching out to your friends and your family, extended family, and trying to build a sense of community um, uh, within this context. And, um, we did that in a variety of ways. One of the things Tamarack did is we we produced a weekly newsletter about COVID, um, and that uh, had somewhere in the area we were close to um, thirty-five unique people. Thirty-five thousand unique people wow. uh, came to our website to, to look at it. Um, I think we sent it out in total. There were how many views? Uh, around 120,000 opened it in the um, in the in the sphere of things. 
So that was helpful. And then we did weekly webinars. And uh, webinars that used to have, you know, like uh, 100, 150 people were suddenly getting 800, 1,000 people showing up. I don't think we ever had, no, sorry, 1,000 a bit overstated. Just 900 and some was as high as we got. But almost everyone was like that. So that was unique and um, and had and had uh, for six weeks we had a a different webinar every week. Now we're back to regular again. We went we, we suspended all of our publications. We're back to all our publications are are going back out. Um, and we're trying to understand what's coming up. You know, now we're doing scenario planning. Um, we were working through three scenarios of what the future might look like and then how Tamarack will be able to have a, a bigger contribution. And as you know, you know, our work has really these three angles, right? We have this learning center uh, with uh, 30,000 learners. We also have um, vibrant communities that has uh, now three divisions. Uh, one is cities reducing poverty, uh, which is in 350 cities. Uh, we've got Deepening Community, which is the one I know that you're particularly fond of. And uh, and that's um, now with just over 6,000 learners um, in that learning community. And then we just started a new one about communities building youth futures. Trying to get youth who may have been unengaged to become more engaged. Um, and we're working on a fourth um, around the environment, but again, and climate change. But it's a kind of a crapshoot right now. Like, uh, I don't know if you're feeling the same, Pete, but what's the future? What's the future of all this? Where do we go? What do we do? Well, um, how do we even talk to one another? You know? Yeah, I, you know, well, first off, uh, I just want to say thank you for uh, your honesty and your authenticity in your response uh, to that question of how are you doing? both on a personal level, talking about your family and making sure that you're uh, staying safe for them, taking care of your health and making sure that you're, you know, can get through this and get to the other side and continue to do the amazing work uh, that you do both personally and uh, as a leader of uh, Tamarack. On the business side, um, I'm amazing to hear the adjustments that you guys have made. I don't even want to use that that pivot word because that that uh, it's overused at this point for me. But uh, I love the adjustments that you've made, and I and, and not surprisingly, with the team of people that you lead, that everybody came together and understood that we are greater together by going back to four days uh, at a time when, frankly, I think more people. Uh, might even need that extra day to find the balance that we're in. I, I saw a study last week from Harvard that says the average employee is now working 40% more uh, because we're not uh, taking consideration into you know, the time we used to commute to work and we're not taking lunches and breaks and there's no water cooler or coffee machine to go hang out with a colleague and shoot the breeze. To your point, you guys have been remote, so maybe your staff is fortunate to already have those structures in place on how do I take breaks? How do I go for a walk? How do I make time to connect with other people? Because without those things, A, we end up being, you know, unhealthy, both physically and mentally. Uh, but more importantly, we need to make sure that we get to the other side of this with 
healthy and happy employees that are productive beyond what they do between nine to five uh, in the office. So uh, amazing to see the adjustments you've made. To your bigger, your bigger question. Yeah, just, again. just yeah, sorry, ahead. just to add to that, you know, it's, yeah. it's not only happy and productive, but you know, everyone's got a home. You know, and sometimes an individual is living alone, and their work connections daily are a big part of their life. You know, others, you know, have children at home, and you're expecting them to work. I mean, you're paying them. Right? But how do you do that? Like, yeah. it really is quite an interesting issue. I mean, I'm finding it remarkable that we don't talk about this more. Right? Like, what are parents supposed to do when they've got kids at home? The kids are supposed to be going to school, and the parents got a full time job, and they're also working at home. And there's a real um, challenge in front of us because if this goes on much longer, it's just unsustainable. People are going to be burning out like crazy. Yeah. Do you know what? For me, I couldn't agree with you or what your um, your perspective more, Paul. But here's, you know, here's the the half full, uh, the glass half full part of this for me is if you look at every other crises that we've been through, certainly in our generation, because we haven't had a war to go through. Um, you know, we've had the financial crash, we've had a housing crash, we've had other things, but that only affected a small segment of the population in most of those. And the original inspiration of the blackout, which was the summer blackout of 2003, amazing things happen when we go through things together. And I know, I. I'm not saying anything you don't know. Frankly, you're the you're the uh, you're the leader of the pack when it comes to all this messaging. But what I think may be the silver lining, and you know, there's lots of them. I I think we've talked about them on all of our connected conversations. Is those challenges that you're highlighting? Well, it's a lot easier when we're all going through it. The awareness level, the empathy, the compassion for one another to go, hey, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah. I'm homeschooling two kids and I am overwhelmed and I'm still trying to work eight hours a day or nine hours or 10 hours a day. I can't right. do it all. Wow, me too. And we start to all recognize that we're all in this together, which we keep hearing people say, but maybe that collective awareness will actually drive some of the change and results that we need to see. What do you, what do you think? Is, is that a possibility that because we're in it together, we may see the type of change that I think you you dream frankly we both dream of which is you know greater consciousness of the challenges that we're all facing you know pete we're, we've landed on three scenarios so i guess you know my my answer is it depends and i normally would say that on just about every answer but you know these three scenarios are 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 number one that there's going to be a lot of energy to snap back so we actually when we envision the future we actually envision the past. And we start to describe the future as it was, right? Which of course isn't the future. Um, and then we put a little positive spin, you know, it's like putting a little pepper on our, on our eggs. Um, and the positive spin is, right, we, we learn something. So we make some adjustments, right? 
but basically what we want is what we had because that's what we can envision. So I guess, you know, it's interesting to think about what you're saying in that context. Now, the second scenario that we're working with is that there's a new normal. And that new normal can take actually two roads. And lots being written on this. The, the new normal is that governments become hyper-protective. Um, we're used to conforming. Um, and there is a different sense about what we're willing to do to stay safe, right? And that's sometimes, you know, the world is not that good at that, making choices about being safe and they get scared. And when they're scared, um, decisions start to get made for the privilege, right? And we're okay to have sacrifices, you know, maybe a little bit like old folks' homes, you know, seniors' complexes. That's where the majority of people are dying. We talk about it, but are in a sense, are we willing to make that sacrifice for the good of the whole? I'm hoping not. The other part of the new normal is, hey, you know, imagine if we ended poverty. Like, I'm thinking to myself, what a, we got to find one big gift that we give to the world. What if Canada decided, okay, we're going to do a guaranteed annual income. We're going to top it up in a certain different way. Uh, we're going to make sure everyone, regardless of who you are, has at least $24,000 a year. And we're going to move out of this without poverty. What? I mean, that just blows my friggin' mind. Can you imagine what a better world we would have if we just did that one thing? And then we put all our energy on, on um, quality of life, which of course means that we have to tackle climate change, right? So in that kind of, a, I mean, we call that the new normal. Can we create a new normal? Or do we wanna go back to the old normal? But there's a third scenario that is kicking around and we're playing with this one in terms of how we can make a contribution and that third scenario is, uh, what if we're in a constant crisis? What if this um, doesn't go away? What if COVID keeps morphing, keeps finding new strains? And for the next 10 years, we're going from crisis to crisis to crisis, right? So. I guess in each one of those, those are three scenarios, snapping back to the past, making some adjustments, finding a new normal, and there's two strains to that, a positive and a negative one. And then there's this third area of this constant crisis. We, we've looked at at least 25 scenarios, but they all kind of boil down to some version of those three. Now, I, I really am hoping for the new normal positive track. Um, I don't know what I'd be willing to give up to end poverty, uh, but I think I'd be giving up, I'd want, I'd be willing to give up a lot. 
Um, I think as a society, we know we have to make some big decisions in order for us all to be safe. Um, for us to be more resilient to pandemics like this. And um, I think when our board had a meeting, our board had a seven hour meeting, by the way, to discuss wow. all of this. Um, it was, we had a lot of fun. We worked really hard, but we had a lot of fun. Um, and essentially, we need the future to be a future for all. So whatever decisions we make about the future, and I love your glass half full scenario, it can't be half full for some of us. It has to be half full for all of us. So um, maybe it can be three quarter empty, three quarter full. Um, but what we have seen is that, you know, this remarkable sense of being homeless, but you must social isolate. You must stay home. What's that? Stay home, just right? Understanding of how vulnerable we are uh, when people don't have a home. Um, and it's not just their well-being, all of our well-being is threatened, right? And I think the number one thing that we came to understand during COVID was that if we clog up our hospitals, they're so full of people that are sick, we start triaging and we only serve those who are, who have the greatest chance of survival, right? That's desperate. Think about that for a moment. That means there's people that we're choosing at the point of entry not to help. I got calls from friends of mine who are leading major org uh, organizations working with people with disability and they were seeing people going into the hospital with disability and being treated, triaged out of care. They were too vulnerable. I find that seniors homes is another interesting one. As long as we were worried about our hospitals filling up, we left our seniors in the seniors homes. And I understand the good reasons for all of this. But we went to an immense measure. We basically shut down the economy to not overwhelm our hospitals. Right? So what are we going to do going forward? Right? To ensure that if something like this continues, that we're set up in such a way that we are resilient. You know? I wrote a, I wrote a, a paper, a, just a short one, recently where I talked about some of this, right? And I talked maybe more about the loneliness that people were feeling and that I was feeling, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, the, the need for social connection. 
the need for hugs, um, the need for long conversations, uh, the need to be around a table and having dinner together. You know, and I, I talked about some fun things, you know, I said, someone's gonna have to set up a business, right? Where we can, where we can hug each other, get, get into suits <laughs> long enough to hug someone. And then I saw the other day, um, uh, two, um, a mother and daughter, uh, they had built, um, they had, they had created these, they had sewn these uh, clothes that were open-ended. And then they hung them on a clothesline. They did it social distancing. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I saw it, yeah. Then they stuck their arms through and they hugged one another. Yeah, I loved it. And I thought, well, there you go. That's a business uh, for COVID times, how much we're longing to hug some of the people we love. But I, the other part was just about how we organize our neighborhoods. Like what we found is we've, we found that helping one another is absolutely imperative to getting through this. And many people have helped and there's great stories of it, but I'm, I'm suspicious. Because there's a lot of people I think that haven't been helped, that people haven't reached out to, right? So we got to make sure that that's not happening, right? So I, I have the emails of all my neighbors. And so I started by emailing everyone, right? How is everyone? What do you need? Uh, we've been bringing food to some of the more vulnerable ones. Now it's Ramadan. We, uh, we have a couple of families that are celebrating Ramadan, and so we, we cook food for them, right? To try to create a sense of, because uh, they don't have a community that can come and share with them right now. They're all social isolating. But as neighbors, we, we know each other, and we know how to kind of bring food over. And, and I was just thinking to myself, you know, are we going to learn this? Are we going to learn that building a sense of community uh, starts at your neighbors and what does it mean to organize neighborhoods in a way that they're helping one another and I, I envy some of the neighborhoods right that are well organized and um, they're already set up with everybody's email uh, they're playing games in a social distance way for the kids the kids go for walks there's pictures in the windows they're playing some sort of form of bingo you know there's some cool stuff going on but uh, yeah, we have a challenge ahead of us, Pete. Big, big challenge. Isn't the, you know, it's funny, you just highlighted the two things, human connection and community, the two things that you and I are, are most passionate about. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, when I launched the Genwell Project back in 2016, it was, we, we launched it because what I think I recognized from five years of running Movember here in Canada and raising $142 million and uh, all the wonderful things that we did with mustaches and, and people is actually was the power of bringing people into a room who were all on the same page, who were all fighting for common good, which was spreading the message of men's health. And what I recognize is most people in the world, when I did a little deeper digging, had, digging, had no idea about how important those connections are, both the deep, meaningful ones we have with family and friends and maybe some neighbors, but those casual ones that we have that make us happier and healthier. And, 
you know, again, a big part of my message and a part of the Gen, Gen Well message is, hey, we're asking people to connect in communities and connect in many other ways. And yet I still believe that there's a lot of, none of, none of us were ever educated on this. We were told to go to the gym. We were told to eat better. You really want to get healthy, become a vegetarian. And, and although we should all be thinking about a plant-based diet as we move forward, because that's more to the sustainability of the earth. But the reality is I still believe that we need to collectively educate society on a message that most of us have never uh, heard because in order to get somebody to actually believe in connecting with their neighbor before a crisis comes, they have, unfortunately, they have to see the what's in it for me. Why would I do that, Paul? Why would I talk to my neighbor? You know, I've got my own life. I've got my walls. I got my food, I've got everything that I need. Why should I talk to my neighbor? And I'm sure you've seen that as, as you've, you know, again, we, I, I always think of everything on a spectrum. There's the people who got it and who probably got it from the first day you started doing what you do at Tamarack. Then there's the people in the middle that with the right education will come to you. And then there's a segment of the population who probably are, are, the, are hardly set into their ways and probably okay. will be a challenging uh, community to bring over there. Um, and, and it's why I think our work together is so important in order to help educate society and give them a couple of catalysts a year. Now we have a catalyst every day called uh, COVID-19 that's making us all more aware of how much human connection is in our lives. But I still look at the community aspect and say, isn't it unfortunate that it took a, 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 a pandemic for people to, you know, wouldn't it be great if everybody had the email address of every person on their street? That would be, that's, that's, the, that's the pinnacle of, of the Tamarack Institute that we all knew each other, we all knew e our neighbors. But unfortunately it takes a pandemic to go, oh my gosh, I, I don't have anybody to get me groceries. I can't get, you know, I didn't reach out to that senior on the street you know, when I wasn't in crisis or when we weren't in crisis and she, I figured that everything was fine. And now we're in the crisis and it's always difficult to build those connections, even though we're motivated to, because we're in this together. So I think it's such a, it's unfortunate that we can't build all these before the crisis. The half full, the glass half full is, it's beautiful that we're all becoming more conscious and aware of how much we do need this we, we do need each other, whether it's to get through the health side or as you yeah. touched on a few yeah. times, the, the, the work, the financial pressures that are coming down the path. You know, if it's 4 million unemployed people, the separation of wealth, the poverty, you know, we are going to need each other to get through this and to the other side. And I think this is a bit of a test for the universal income. And maybe that is, and, and I would be fully supportive of, hey, what are the things we need to sacrifice in order to make sure we don't see poverty? Because when somebody beside you can't pay their bills and can't put food on their table, trust me, you're not gonna live happily in your world. And I think it's something we, it's difficult for people to visualize that until the reality is, is right in front of them. But it's not only even unhappily, you actually, it's not just a spiritual thing. Now it's a physical thing. Yeah. That when people are vulnerable around you, we're all vulnerable because they can't social isolate. Yeah. Right? They're going to get the pandemic. The pandemic is going to spread. Right? 
And the more the pandemic spreads, the more at risk we all are. So the only way to deal with this is to give a sense of security and well-being, right? And, and um, but it's interesting, you know, I, I really liked what you were saying and I, it got me thinking, like what roles did everybody play? Like how important was, I don't know, um, the provincial government, the federal government, but local government. Like it's interesting because they, 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 they set a standard. Now, of course the federal government just spent a shitload of money, which is what they're, you know, I really think they did a great job acting quickly to stabilize things. They had some practice with that. But you know, it's the everyday citizen that's kind of interesting. And then that played a huge role. And you know who played the biggest role of all? Our minimum wage workers. Yeah. Like, what does that say? Like, I'm sitting here as non-essential. Right? So you can introduce me with this long bio, making me seem really important. But Frank, I'm on essential. But the schlep that's got to go work at the grocery store, you know, that I have worked really hard in my life not to take for granted, right? That guy or that woman that's making minimum wage or just better. They were deemed essential. You know, the, the, the personal support worker in a nursing home was essential, right? So it's not just the people in the hospital that, that are essential. We should be celebrating all of these people who are putting their lives at risk. Now, shouldn't they be making the big bucks? Like really? Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I posted a a, a blog yesterday uh, about the next big parade that we should all be experiencing, and it's exactly what you've just said: is who really should we be celebrating? And the Toronto Raptors is always my backdrop for the parade we had a year ago, I believe it was. But that next parade should be for our emergency services, for the doctors, the nurses the people working in the drugstores, the people working in grocery stores, and we should all be out there because we need to celebrate that we got through this together, assuming we do get through it. And I'm still very glass half full, Paul, as I know you are, even though it can be tiring at times, we will get through this, we will get to the other side, and we will celebrate human connection like we've never celebrated it before. Yeah. So, uh, but you're right. And, and let me just, uh, to your point of you not being essential, um, this is where the transition to me is coming. And this may, again, the other positive of this, the message that you've shared for, how long has Tamarack been around? We haven't even gotten into, we need to do this again. We've been Tamarack's 20 years. Been yeah, 20? 20 years. 20 years. And it's been, I will suggest, an uphill battle for much of that time, other than those who fully embrace it because they're already there. But maybe on the other side of this, maybe the vision that you've had for 20 years, maybe the uh, more ideal, uh, fair, 
uh, society there, everybody wins and everybody has hope and aspirations that they can strive for. Maybe that's the other side of this. So that the essential that maybe people didn't see before, people start to see how essential the message, the vision, and the work that you do to bring our communities, to bring people together and keep them connected so that the next time we get into a crisis like this, we're prepared with everybody's email so that we know we can help one another, that we will get through this by supporting each other. Maybe that is one of the beautiful things that comes out of this. That's hope. Like that's the, that's the thing, right? Let's hope we can learn. Let's hope we're not gonna make big sacrifices, but we still got a lot of water to go under the bridge to know where this is gonna go. And I, so I think, you know, what you're doing here and the, you know, the constant good messages, we gotta keep presenting those to people. Yeah. And to let them know that there is an alternative. Um, and, uh, and to try to understand what it means to get through this. I agree with you. We are going to get through this. We're going to be bruised. Um, it's uh, it's going to be tough financially on our country. Um, but we will get through it. Um, my hope is that we're all willing to make sacrifices. And maybe that's the one key thing we've all done well together. Sure, we've done it for ourselves, but we've also done it for the more vulnerable in our society. Yep. Um, and we've made sacrifices. Now, am I willing to pay 10% more income tax, 20% more? Well, I'm telling you right here, I sure am. If that means that we can create a better world quickly and that we're all safer because of it. And I think we need to have a mass movement around this. What are the sacrifices we're willing to make? Am I willing to pay, to, to pay 10, 20% more at the grocery store? Uh, am I willing to pay, you know, uh, double for my McDonald's hamburger? You know, I got to be willing to make those types of sacrifices to make sure that everyone is benefiting from this great country we live in and that we as a country are solid because we've cared for everyone and we've thought yeah. of everyone. That's really the hope coming out of this. I couldn't couldn't agree more. I think I think we get cut off in six minutes. So I'm gonna, you know, make sure that we I say thank you to you before we go, but I'm gonna continue this on. And if we get shut off, Paul, I wanna ask you, can we do this again? And maybe we'll find a platform where we don't get cut off because I think this dialogue is really important for people to hear because I think it does give people different ideas and suggestions. And that was the whole concept behind yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we can end it right now because let, let's promise to come back again, Yeah, but let's come back and, and just talk about deepening community and what role that plays. And I think, you know, um, I'd love to show people some clips of Tamer Solomon's um, movie. Uh, I'd like to have uh, Heather Keen come on and talk about some of the work that's happening uh, with neighbors now uh, across the country. Um, but thanks again for having me on the show. Great to have you. And the one thing I will say, and you touched on it earlier, is the opportunity we all have to make a difference in somebody else's life right now just by reaching out and having a conversation. You know, human connection is so important, as you know, right now. We launched our Just One More campaign uh, two weekends ago, and it's such a simple message to remind us all about making a difference in the lives of somebody else just by having a conversation. So as we end off, 
let's plan on doing that. I'll reach out to Glenda Cooper, who I talk to regularly, who I love to death. You know, between her and Heather, let's find a platform where we can get Tamara on there, we can get us on there, and we can get uh, Heather and Glenda on there, and let's have a real great dialogue that really dives into just how important all this information is for people. Perfect. Thanks Paul, so thank much. you very much for your time. Have a great day. And you be safe too. Thank you, my friend. You too.